Hi, my name is Steve Coogan. And I feel, I wouldn't say ambivalent about being Conan O'Brien's friend. That wouldn't quite capture it. I'd say that I'm uh, quietly optimistic. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Hey there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. This is an interesting situation we are in. Uh, today's podcast, the interview, was recorded several weeks ago before everybody went into self-quarantine, social distancing, lockdown, whatever you want to call it. But today's introduction that I am, what you're listening to right now, is being taped uh, in my home. And I am on a Zoom hookup link up <laughs> with my regular gang, Sona Movsessian, my trusty assistant. Hello, Sona. Hi. Are you in Armenia? Where are you, Sona? Ugh. I'm not in Armenia. I'm in uh, Los Angeles, California, okay. where I live. I was only asking because a lot of people in times of crisis return to their homeland. And I thought maybe you had gone with your family back to your native Armenia. No, but, my um, family never lived in Armenia, so we would never return there. Also, that it's a terrible time to fly. I thought you would probably take the ship that you took over here. You thought I came here in a, on a ship? Yeah, a wooden boat called the, uh, the Hope for America. I think is what you called it. <laughs> Wait, does the name of it have an accent? It does, actually. Oh, okay. It's, it's in the font, you can tell. I'm also joined by someone, uh, a true American, someone who was born and raised here. Come on! Matt Gorley. Matt, how are you? Much better now that we successfully got you hooked up to do Zoom recording. If yeah. we can do that, we can do anything in America, because that was something. Let me explain uh, what's what just happened, we decided that we were going to record this with the, res the responsible way, meaning that Sona would be in her home, uh, Gorley would be in, in his place, I would be in my place, and we'd all be separated, which is what we're supposed to do. It sounded like it was going to be easy, but then we decided, okay, here it's time to go, and we got on a Zoom conference, but we had to figure out a way to record the audio of this so that it would sound decent for the podcast, and then began probably 40 minutes of the most insane <laughs> explanations. Uh, I've never been okay boomered in my life like I just was. Can it I was, say something? I knew it would take exactly this long. I'm not what one would call a computer man, because just by saying that, you know this guy knows doesn't know shit about computers. <laughs> but I've done this with my grandma, who's in the greatest generation. Five minutes. Took five minutes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But your grandmother did uh, work in the British Secret Service and helped develop the first computer, did she not? Didn't she work with Alan, Alan Turing? Turing? Oh, you both got really excited when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that we were originally supposed to start at 11, and I said, let's start at 1030, because I knew it would take at least a half an hour to get this going. But Conan, I have to say, I'm very proud of you, because you only got frustrated like six times. Yes. The best analogy I have for what we just went through trying to set up this session was imagine the pilot and the co-pilot of a 747 have been incapacitated. They've gone into comas. And the only person who can land the plane is a zebra. 
and <laughs> people in the control tower are talking to the zebra and saying, okay, you can do this, zebra. And the zebra just takes its hoof and starts uh, pounding, pounding away at the, at the controls ahead of it. So that's kind of what happened. But we got the plane down. Most everyone died. Uh, the wings are on fire, but we're here. So I apologize. And if, if, if me explaining this in the setup is frustrating, I just want you to know that we're all doing the best we can in these extraordinary times. And I think the fact that I was able to successfully figure out all the tech by myself in my house uh, with just a little, little assistance from people. Okay. Okay. It's pretty heroic. I think it's pretty heroic. And I hope it's heroic. I think I'm an American hero. No, you're a zebra. (laughs) Well, a zebra can be a hero. When I tell people to give you directions on how to use computers, I say, pretend you're talking to a toddler. Wouldn't that be good advice just all around? For- yeah, yeah. Hmm. but it's okay. Look, the point is, is that you did it, and I'm, I'm proud of you. I think the point is that the nation and the world is in a crisis right now, and uh, it takes a real hero like me hmm. to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to figure out how to use his MacBook Pro for the first time. <laughs> now that's a true hero. Um, are you guys, I know it's very late in the conversation to ask, but are you well? Gorley, are you okay? Yeah, doing well. I'm doing good here. Has Sona, how about you? You know, I'm doing fine. Uh, we have a lemon tree. I had a lot of lemons, and so I wanted to make a lemon loaf yesterday, and I didn't have baking powder. So I went to the store just for baking powder, which I thought was very, very irresponsible. Well, you know the old saying, when life gives you lemons, make lemon loaf. <laughs> Who wants a lemon loaf? So, you know, I gave up chocolate for Lent and... Yeah, can I say something? Why is anyone following Lent right now? I'm a Catholic, but we are in a pandemic. We have enough stress in our lives. We're all in our homes. And then suddenly, every now and then, I'll talk to someone like Sona who says, yeah, uh, it's Lent. So I gave up alcohol, meat, bread, mayonnaise, <laughs> candy. And, and I'm thinking, I know, but we're in a pandemic. So I would think Jesus would understand. Wouldn't, don't, wouldn't you think? Uh, I agree. And also someone told me the other day that the Pope canceled Easter. And I said, I don't know if the Pope can do that. You know, that's going to replace, does the Pope shit in the woods? <laughs> You're going to say like, hey, do you, do you think such and such will happen? Hey, yeah. Do you think the Pope can cancel Easter? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that the Pope, does he have the, yes, he does. He is God's representative on earth. But I don't think he can just cancel a Jesus holiday. Didn't he just cancel Easter mass? He can't cancel. Yeah. It. You know, he made, you know, he performed a miracle recently. You know what he did? He passed his hand over a lemon cake and made it something fun to eat. Okay. He also got you to learn how to record remotely. (laughs) (laughs) That is an act of God. I am writing this down. (laughs) Gorley will pay. I keep a little book, but um, we're here. We're well. And I think we have a lot to be grateful for. I really do. I really do believe that. Agreed. One of the things we have to be grateful for is my guest today. Nice. Pretty sweet transition, huh? Really good. <laughs> <laughs> now, some would say that me being in my house all this time, that I'm a little out of touch. Well, <laughs> maybe so. But still, I think I'm the greatest hero 
uh, in these times. Uh, oh, my God. I do want to, I, I am very excited. My guest today is an absolutely hilarious comedian who starred in the British television series I'm Alan Partridge, which, uh, for my money, is one of the greatest comedic characters ever invented. Uh, I think up there with Peter Sellers' Clouseau. He also co-wrote and starred in the Oscar-nominated movie, Philomena. Now you can see him in the new film, Greed. I've been a fan for a very long time. I'm thrilled he's here with us today. Steve Coogan, welcome. You know, uh, I'm going to start off by saying a little something, which is... I'm hard pressed to think of anybody breathing who makes me laugh harder than you do. Uh, I know you're you're not a fellow who likes a compliment, but um, I first got to know you through the Alan Partridge character, as a lot of people do. I know that uh, you've been doing that for a long time, and Americans came to it a little later. And to this day, when new ones come out, I'm like a child at Christmas. It it's delights me, and they are as funny now as they were when I first saw them 15, 20 years ago. Thank you. It's, um, How it's, am I doing on ambivalent now? Uh, I'm, I'm starting to warm to you because you've got that. I always find, I don't know why, that when people compliment me, I start to feel more warmly towards them. See? I don't know why that is. <laughs> no one understands. It's this cool trick that I discovered. Wow. No one else in Los Angeles has figured it yeah, out. Yeah. No, I was on, I told you this, I was on a British Airways flight and the latest uh, Alan Partridge's were on and there were only three and I saw them and that was all they were offering. And when they were over, I became enraged. I became enraged <laughs> like uh, a baboon whose banana had been taken. And uh, um, I, I, I couldn't make words. I was swinging my arms wildly. Well, if you just, you know, if you ever in that situation again, contact me and I'll give you more bananas. <laughs> uh, I mean, metaphorical ones. Oh, I and see. And real ones. Oh, I see. Okay. I thought you just, okay. You were taking me too literally. Uh, in the beginning when you would come on my show in New York, I don't think my audience was aware of Alan Partridge or who this fellow is. They knew you from certain movies, but they didn't know your real body of work. Tonight, people were yelling out Alan Partridge and I could see... I'll use the word ambivalence again, in your eyes. Yeah. I could see that you were a little like, yeah, Alan Partridge. No, no, no. Do you know what? It's, it's kind of like, it's sort of, uh, well, first of all, I was quite pleased because I, I always assume that the people, well, discerning tastemakers like yourself, um, I'm warming. Uh, I'm warming to you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm still ambivalent. Weirdly, <laughs> I don't know why. Uh -huh. um, um, yeah. No. I just. I. I. Uh, I, I was quite pleased because people seem to uh, be aware of uh, the, uh, Alan in a way that they weren't before. And I guess I'm sort of. I'm a slow creeping presence in some. I find I get recognised in Whole Foods, but not in Walmart. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Right. Anyone anyone who can pay $30 for grapes <laughs> knows Alan Partridge. Uh, anyone uh, who's uh, drinking a, a, a fake grape juice uh, <laughs> does not know Alan Partridge. Um, but also, I will say, I think one of the things that helps is that you're doing the kind of comedy I like. It's character comedy. It's not topical. They're as funny today as they always yeah. were. Well, that, was that was a very deliberate act on our part, was not to make reference to... Uh, politicians or sports people because they 
change. They yes. change. They 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 get renewed. Different people come along. Uh, we we'd sort of say if it's someone like you know maybe we might we might make a reference to Abraham Lincoln or Winston <laughs> Churchill because that's fairly that's not going to date. You know, it's, it's 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 what it is. Most millennials in this country <clears throat> don't know don't know who they are. Who they are? <laughs> <laughs> they really they don't. Are. Okay. So uh, yeah. So no, we we, we did it because we wanted it to have a, sh- a long shelf life because we thought it was good. We thought it was yeah. Funny. I mean, I the the thing about partridges. I and you said like I had a strange love hate relationship. I did uh, until I was able to other stuff. And one when I was able to do other stuff, then I was more I was more inclined to come back to it because I did for a while. I didn't, I didn't do it for about like six years or something, and I kind of missed Alan. You know, he's yeah. like he's like that he's like that idiot. You think I, I I don't I've had I've had enough of him. That's it. I'm done with him. He keeps saying dumb things. I don't want to see him anymore. And then you can and then a few. Years then you ago, do Philomena. You do. Uh, you know. You do these other projects mm-hmm. where you get to uh, show that you can do. Uh, you know, you're you're a good actor. You're a good writer. You're you're very adept at these things. And then you think maybe that leaves space for Alan to come well, back. Well, then, then I would. Yeah, and I'd, I'd figure. Uh, and I say what the other thing was. I was writing with uh, Patrick Marber and Armando Iannucci, and those guys who were who I first collaborated with, and they they went off and pursued their careers. And Peter Bainham, he went off writing with Sasha Baron Cohen, and I was kind of going. I, I I I need I need some writers, and then these two guys came on twin brothers called Robin Neil Gibbons, and they breathed new life and put blood back in the veins of the character, and I think I've taken it up to another level because uh, beyond the, the the first BBC stuff, we started doing. He started having, it's like there was parts of him that were um, people a bit more care a bit more about him. He's he's, he's not a complete. Jerk. He's sort of trying. He's like one of those people who's trying to be woke and sort of struggling with it. But 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 I know but, all too well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's very hard for me to, to, to. I have to. I had to ask someone who's like that to to be able to channel it into the character. If I can help you in any way, uh, yeah. No, I like that he actually he's and he's a monicum of he's uh, obviously this. This, in some ways, terrible talk show host, or as you guys say, chat show host. But mm-hmm. then he also has had, there are areas where he is competent and quite good, and he can talk on his feet, and he can. So I always think it's important that he's not a complete disaster. He no. actually has some skills. No. There are reasons why he's a successful well, broadcaster. He's, he, and also, because uh, Kate, because he says things unselfconsciously, sometimes it can be like the guy who says the emperor's not wearing any clothes. So sometimes Alan will say stuff that I yeah. couldn't say, but that people secretly agree with, yes. if you like. And that's quite satisfying, because he'll say some stuff that people sort of snigger under the, and put their hand over their mouth when they snigger, because they go... That's kind of true, but you're not supposed to say it. So, so Alan sometimes is like a Trojan horse for uh, for, for sort of smuggling in uh, comic uh, ideas that and they, rage and rage. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, well, yes, love and anger are great motivators. I find, and uh, with Alan, uh, anger and frustration is. Uh, well, here's what, here's what we can talk about. We uh, we both come from large Irish families. Mine is Irish American, obviously, but we are a hundred percent Irish, and I am one of six, and you are one of six. That's right. Where were you in the, what's your birth order? I was right in the middle. I got two yes. older brothers, two younger brothers. Nice yeah. to meet you as, as really? me. I am, I am right in the middle. Oh, really? In a large family, a large, mine's Irish English. Although I did one of those tests recently. I'm like 95% Irish, 5% just mongrel, I guess. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm a purebred Irish. And, uh, uh, and, and we grew up in a large family and it was second generation. So my, my, uh, uh 
so I, all my holidays were spent in Ireland where they cooked on the fire. It was almost like a disappearing medieval way right. of life. And, uh, and uh, you know, I dug peat uh, from the peat bog with my uh, great uncle. And so I kind of feel like I have one foot in Ireland. And, uh, and also because of history, I can't kind of keep the British at arm's length. It's like right. we support the English football team, but my... My parents would raise me to be slightly uh, suspicious of the of the royals because they were part of the agents agency of repression. Yes, the Irish. They all, stole all that, our potatoes. They they did, uh, and um, and all that stuff. And oh yes, I'm steeped in all that stuff. But big family and my parents fostered kids too. So there would be an extra couple of kids in the house, like short term foster kids who were like in trouble or whatever, and and they would bring them into the house. And uh, so it's kind of noisy and not a very touchy-feely emotional environment. Yes. We didn't really say, you know, I love you. Oh, God, no. That, no. Was what, that was what people did in American soap operas. Um, it was like, <laughs> it was a bit weird to us. But I knew that, I knew I was loved, of course, you know, but it just wasn't expressed that way. And uh, it's almost like, it's almost like emotion is like a, 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 an indulgence. Yes. That you can't afford. The, the, if you come from a sort of poor Irish background way back, that it's uh, the most important thing is just getting, putting food on the table, having enough food and making sure you're, you're healthy and that you're not sick and that's and that's that's good enough and anything extra if if you want to talk about your emotions that's just a little it's indulgent well you know you think about it in the history of the world no one had time to talk about their emotions until about Maybe 35 years ago. <laughs> Until then, people were, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like people had to survive. I mean, you have to get practically into the 20th century for a guy like Freud to be able yeah. to come along and say, anyone want to talk about their dreams? <laughs> Would you like to talk about dreams? You couldn't do that at a time when it was, we've got to go kill an elk, find an elk, kill an elk, and, yeah, eat it, it and yeah. drink the blood and cook yeah. it. And then everyone shut the fuck up yeah. because we need to then go find another elk. So exactly. you've got to get, it's very real. Recent, and mm-hmm. I, I just grew up, I felt like because the Irish hang on to stuff, I noticed that I developed all these incredibly passive aggressive ways of dealing with people. Sona, you've seen it a million times. Yes, it works. it's infuriating. Uh, yep. I'm, and I'm on the razor's edge, but I can at any point say, well, I was just, that's just a joke. I was just, mm-hmm. you know. And so what happens is sometimes I'm unhappy with someone and I kid around with them. And then four hours later, it's like Bruce Lee's invisible vibrating palm they have a heart attack long after the fight. They don't realize <laughs> yeah. that I've... The joke is a parachute. Well, when, when, you, when something you don't want to deal with something, I think a joke is like an emotional parachute. And, yeah. Uh, and in fact, I remember doing the trip with Rob. Uh, I would say, you know, try and do, try and try and say, make, try and make the observation and, and then don't do the joke at the end. Or say something apparently sincere, then don't do the joke. It's really hard sometimes. The really hilarious scenes of you two competing as you drive through some beautiful part of England or Spain, or and, and you're both, instead of looking out the window and enjoying the scenery, you're just doing a competing Michael Caine impressions, <laughs> which are, they're stunning Michael Caine impressions, but I can tell, correct me if I'm wrong, you really are competing in those moments because you're playing Steve Coogan, he's playing Rob Brydon, and there is really a yeah. bit of competition going uh, what on. What I want to demonstrate when I have that, those competitions with Rob is that he, he, although he's slightly exaggerating who he is in, in, in reality, right. and I'm slightly exaggerating, but actually there is a core of truth to it. And what it is is I want to sort of say to Rob in that competition is that you like to do funny voices I don't like to do funny, vo- funny voices, but I can do funny voices, and I can do them better than you. Yes. But I choose not to. I choose not That's to. That's it. That's all I want to say. Yeah, yeah. And you're always on the, on the when, you, when your two characters are driving through your characters, I mean, your, your versions of yourselves, but you're always putting him down for doing uh, some chat show appearance, or why did you go on that 
game show. Why are you doing this? And uh, and and he says, well, we can't all do Philomena, you know. And it's you can tell that there's like, oh my god, these guys are getting right on the razor's yeah. edge of telling each other to fuck off. Yeah, well, we have, like I said, we, when we started out, I said, look, we're going to have to, if we, to make this interesting, we, we can't just, like, t- gently tease each other because that's dull. You know, we, we're going to have to do things that are uh, difficult. So we sort of shook hands, and then and then we, we started sort of having a go. And th- there are times where I, I've, st- I've just said to Rob, we're not putting that in. I'll just break the phone and say, we're not putting that in. Yeah. In the middle of the camera's rolling. We're not going to put that in. I'll say, and I, I won't say tell you what I'll say, but I'll say to Rob, do you want me to talk about X? Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. he'll go, uh, no. And I go, okay. Right. So let's, uh, right. and, uh, and but then sometimes, and then, and then Michael will just say, stop being mean to each other in the middle. Of, it'll keep rolling. Okay, right. stop being mean to each other. Uh, and his only direction would, would be, uh, just do some voices again. Well, he wouldn't say, like, I need you to find the soul of... He would just... all he would say. What do you want us to do? I don't know. Do some voices again. Do uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I could see many directors, many of the great directors in history have uh, redirected a scene by just telling the actor to do a funny voice. Well, I used to do... Uh, it was that I... Uh, Mike, uh, sorry, um, Stephen Frears, uh, when in, in Philomena, he would, and this is a podcast, I'm going to describe it physically, uh, he would look across the crowded rooms and shout, Steve, and then just use his hand in a gesture uh, as if to say, just take it down, take it down a notch, right. take it down a peg or two. Right. And, um, uh, and uh, that's that's all he'd say to me. He'd just say, "Do less. You know, yeah. Stop. Stop. You know, waving your arms around and raising and using your eyebrows. You know." Um, so he taught me how to act better. Just less eyebrow. Less basically. eyebrow, less waving your arms on like, the, like a windmill. <laughs> I got to a point where uh, I think early in my relationship with my wife, she just told me I was doing my passive-aggressive uh, karate moves, you know, verbal karate moves. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And she just said, yeah, no, not with me. And I was oh, like, oh, 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 okay. oh, oh. And, and I was like, it was, but it was good. She was like, she's got a great sense of humor, but yeah. she just sort of told me, yeah. yeah, you know, you can enjoy that out in the world with whoever will put up with it. Yeah. But, but, and, and I, and it worked. I, it actually, yeah, it was just, I don't know if you've had that yeah. in. If yeah. Well, I have that. The re, there's a, there is a comic kind of reflex that you get like a Pavlovian uh, re, reaction to things, which is uh, I do, I have to be very careful. I send, uh, sarcastic emails, thinking that I'll make my point better if I use sarcasm, and uh, and it just it just annoys people, and they don't they, you don't get people to do what you want to do. So so I I just I have to I'm trying to not do that as much. Is it a coincidence that um, a, there's a real sweetness to Partridge, but he can also be an incredible prick, mm. uh, <laughs> greed, uh, the the movie that uh, you're out promoting right now, your character is, says and does, I mean, he's this, this billionaire who's built his fortune on the, on the backs of the poor and he's completely unrepentant. And so you, you seem to love to play these people that can say absolutely outrageous things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that, and, and this pure mm-hmm. bile can come out, but you're very funny 
and you're very glib and you're making all these comments. And I think it must be a nice way to get the demons out. Uh, definitely, definitely uh, is. I just think it, there's nothing. The, uh, and I tell you what, yes, of course, what I do is anything I think that's bad, I just challenge. Usually in Alan Partridge, I think I have a bad thought. I put it into Alan Partridge. I just, I just file it away there for future use. Um, but I, I find that uh, there's no such thing as a bad experience, really, if, 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 you're, if you're able to sort of put it somewhere else. So, so nothing, the, nothing bad can happen because most bad stuff is quite interesting. Right. In fact, if, you, if you're uh, in an awkward social, social moment where someone says the wrong thing and there's a silence and there's no way of digging your way out of it, and I'm, I've been in those situations where someone just says... It's something like, I mean, in my industry, someone will say, did you see that film? That film was awful. It's just, I hated that film. Oh, I produced that film. Right. You know, that lesson. And then yes. someone goes, oh, oh, well, I just didn't like it. Oh, that's okay. It did well at the box office. And then there's an awful silence. When that happens, I quite I think, oh, this is nice. This is delicious. Yes, this is really interesting. <laughs> I nice? must remember this. This this awkwardness is, is almost like a candy bar in a weird. <laughs> so, and I want to sort of just think, oh, I must remember this. You know what? You almost makes you wish that there was. Uh, uh, a wine cellar somewhere where they had bottled the perfect awkward moments mm. and that uh, you could go in and someone could say, this right here is the moment where, you know, this person said, I despise that movie. And this other person said, that's odd. I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> we have it and it's been sitting, for, it's been in this bottle for 25 years, which is the perfect amount of time for this <laughs> kind of awkwardness. And then you could, because I, I think we all, I, I love those spaces too. There's a, there's a beauty to, to people yeah. absolutely not being able to click in that moment. Yeah, I just, no, it's for me, it's, I'm, I'm lucky that I sort of stumbled upon this weird formula where everything that's bad and dysfunctional about myself, I can somehow, um, yeah, grow, grow stuff from it. It's, now, like, it's, like, it's like mold being able, it's like moldy cheese somehow. That's what I get from you. Yeah. yeah. You're, very, you're yeah. a cheese. Mature, though. <laughs> yes, mature. <laughs> a mature moldy cheese. Mature, strong, mature. Yes, strong, but, mature. But a little moldy. A little moldy. <laughs> uh, that and, reminds, bl and blue. That reminds me of something you did that completely... <laughs> that completely... And this is... You're not going to like this, but... I think it was the first season of Partridge. There was this, there was this moment that took this turn, this comedic turn that I always think I know where something's going. And uh, just because I've done this for so long and it's all I think about, you're having a very, you're having a meeting with someone who's a big wig at the BBC about having a new show. And it's very important that you have a new show. And you're, I think you're in a restaurant and they put a cheese in front of you, a big mm, cheese. Mm. And the conversation is not going the way you want. And then it becomes clear that you're not going to get the show you want. You take your knife, you stab the cheese, and you run out of the restaurant with it. It makes no sense. It's a completely irrational act. I think I laughed for about about a month. I kept looking at it. I don't know why Alan did that in no. that moment. I don't know if you know no. or the writers know why no, he did no. that. No, we there's just, no reason for it. No, it just like it's like it's like someone's brains just like broken. I know we didn't. We just thought it, it felt. Authentic. Somehow. No, it was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. And it was one of those yeah. things where I thought, uh, 
Yes, that's perfect, but yeah. I never would have thought of that in a billion years. Yeah, it's, I mean, there is stuff like that, but there's, all, there's also kind of um, uh, other moments that are very, very old-fashioned. We sort of put stuff in like that with, where there's no, re- which is the best of I always think is when you don't quite know what you're laughing. And then there's other stuff which is very old-fashioned kind of, just stupid puns yes. uh, that we still put in. What, someone mentioned to me that the last Alan Partridge movie we did, and I'd forgotten the, the joke, but it's a, it's a bit where a guy, a security guard, like a, a SWAT team, Navy SEAL type guy, says to Partridge, if you screw this up, he says, I'm going to take off my uniform and I'm going to make you pay for it. And he goes, you, you want me to buy your uniform? <laughs> it's, it's just dumb. Yeah. It's, that's a, I like to have to balance the sort of weird stuff with stuff that's just stupid vaudeville. Oh, almost, that's uh, why. <clears throat> Do you uh, are you were you a fan? I was a big fan of the uh, Peter Sellers Pink Panther movies. I mm. I don't know how they're thought of by you or yeah the, they're great they're great he's yeah he's he's a genius he's a horrible man but a genius comedian you know? well here we are I know uh, I know sorry. you're looking at me I'm looking at you I, <laughs> <laughs> but I I sometimes look at those movies where he's playing Clouseau and they'll do they the I watched one I made my son watch one and he absolutely mm-hmm. loved it which made me happy he's 14 and I mm-hmm. he was like I don't want to see this it's uh, not, yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. take place in space mm-hmm. uh, there's no vort- <laughs> there's no vortex that opens up in the sky where's Thor and I said let's just let's just please give it a second Thor will show up eventually and there will be a vortex uh, where where things happen for no reason, but we're watching it, and Clouseau walks into a hotel, and a man just says, uh, "May I take your jacket?" And he says, "Thank you." And he the, the guy takes off Clouseau's jacket, walks outside, puts it on, and leaves. Gets in a car and leaves. <laughs> and 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 then there's another one uh, where. <laughs> Clouseau comes in in one of his stupid disguises and there's an old man behind the desk at a different hotel and there's a little dog right there and he says, does your dog bite? And the man says, no. And so he reaches over to pet the dog and it bites him. And he says, mm-hmm. I thought you said your dog didn't bite. And the man says, it's not my dog. Yes, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, yeah. these are, it's vaudeville. It's vaudeville. It's yeah, vaudeville, yeah. but I, I absolutely love it. I, and and I, I love those things. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, well, I, I, you know, it's funny. Growing up, I liked Monty Python yep, and yep. Uh, all that kind of, and the, the strange avant-garde kind of comedy of that. In fact, that it, I kind of liked the fact my parents didn't quite get it. Did you like the young, also, the young ones? I did like the young ones, and I liked, uh, you know, Blackadder was a comedy in the UK that I loved. Oh, Blackadder, yeah, Rowan Atkinson. And, yeah. yeah, Rowan Atkinson. And um, but also I liked the sort of traditional British sitcoms, you know, like uh, Forty Towers, a lot of stuff from, from Python, uh, and uh, you know, seeing seeing traditional sort of warm-hearted kind of comedies yeah. as well. I liked all that stuff and. I like I like I sort of little schizophrenic. I like to move around, do the sort of stuff that's I like the weird stuff, and I like the stuff that's just I like I, I like the fact that a whole fam a really good sort of traditional comedy. You can get a whole family, different generations, different tastes, different even different politics, different worldviews. Yep, and they all laugh at the same jokes, and yes. that's really that's a real kind of healing thing. It's like it's it's like you know we might. Not agree on this, this, and this, and this, but we all agree that that's funny right now. We, uh, I think, probably my favorite thing that I've been able to experience in comedy is traveling to other places. Uh, we do a Conan Without Border show and, and shooting mm-hmm. segments in different parts of the world, and I'll go places where there's terrible division 
and there's terrible anger and there's uh, sort of ter- turmoil, but everyone can agree that um, I look sickly <laughs> with my shirt off, you know, and I can, I, that makes me, it makes me so happy when, uh, you know, those moments where I'm in, um, you know, uh, I'm in Africa and someone is laughing at my attempt to sort of partake in their culture in, in Ghana mm-hmm. and a woman who doesn't even speak English says, this is a very foolish man. And I'm going, to, I'm going to laugh at his yep. body. Yeah, yeah. My body has <laughs> helped you heal many wounds. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back. Oh, God, I enjoyed that break. Did you have a good time? <laughs> you went out for a little walk? <clears throat> yeah, soak up the uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice, here in Los Angeles. I know. I was, I was being ironic. <clears throat> when did you... <laughs> I'm working on a different level to you. <clears throat> What's it like to be on your level? I, I'm going to say this. We were talking about British comedy. I've always had... I've been a little self-hating. I grew up loving comedy, and I always thought the Brits are, I think, 35 years ahead of us. I, that's the, and 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 when I talk to Brits, they don't agree. No, they didn't. That's not that's not true because uh, because a lot of our comedy early on was uh, you know there was Peter Cook and Dudley Moore who did stuff uh, that was kind of adventurous. But really, after the war, we had these like what uh, what you call vaudeville. We had musical comedians, and they were often very 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 old fashioned and not that sophisticated. And at the same time, in uh, the U the U S you had uh, uh, Jack Benny yep, and yep. and uh, and um, Bob Newhart yep. and Shelley Berman they were way ahead of the game because they weren't doing gags they were doing routines that were observations about yes. whole uh, long shaggy dog stories and and stuff like this and uh, and I had those th- I had that stuff on vinyl. So I didn't see those shows because we didn't. We, there was not much cross fertilization, but but vi- we could get that stuff on vinyl records, right? And so I would play that stuff and listen to it and think, this is this guy's great. It's like he's not doing. He's just he's he's taking he's, he's painting a picture with his words, yes, yes. and taking you somewhere else and, and and creating this whole scenario. And it's just him talking about it. And that to me was magical. And that and that actually was way ahead of, of the Brits at that time. When I was coming along and I saw Python in sketch comedy, felt like oh. I think they're way ahead of us because our sketches all needed to have an ending. And then Python was coming in. We were getting it a little later than you guys, but we were getting it in the sort of the mid, mm. mid 70s. Mm-hmm. This stuff's coming on that doesn't have sketches are so abstract and when, and something lasts as long as it's funny and then they just say now for something completely different, which which broke a rule in sketches in yeah. America at that time where people would be dressed up as Cabbage Patch Dolls, celebrities, and they'd, well, we're Cabbage Patch Dolls here on a shelf, and I hope someone buys us. And then, you know... Uh, I like that. I want to see it. <laughs> well, I wrote it, and uh, I'm very proud of it. And I've been pitching it around for years, and no one's wanted it. Well, I liked Python best on vinyl, again, right. because when they were on TV, it was very, very uh, unrefined and a little anarchic, and it was a little hit and miss. It was definitely avant-garde and weird and, and funny, but... Uh, it was sometimes a little ragged, and that was part of it. It was kind of like a sort of punk rock approach to comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then, uh, but on vinyl, they really crafted things. And I used to learn stuff off pat, and knew I know a lot of Monty Python. Like I still, even now, I know a lot of stuff. 
Uh, you could just, it's, yeah, that's just in your cerebral cortex. Yeah. And, um, you know, it would always be stuff that's a little sort of uh, sick and disturbing uh, that made me laugh the most. And then after they came along, then then the, the people like Rowan Atkinson came along uh, with a, a thing called Not the Nine O'Clock News, and they yep. would go back to punchlines because that seemed then sort of uh, anarchic to have punchlines again. Right. They did a sketch once about uh, people surviving uh, an air disaster. And uh, they said, and they're, they're talking to these survivors. It's quite, this is sort of an example of it, where they're talking to them in quiet voices, asking them how, how, what was it like? And it said, well, after a while, we were so hungry, and no one had discovered us that we had to take this terrible decision. And they say, and what, and what, do you want to talk about that? He goes, yes, we decided eventually the only way we could survive was if we ate the airline food. <laughs> and, uh, and, so said, and was that difficult? He said, yes, first of all, we had to start out with those biscuits. Right? So he goes, and he goes, and he goes Why, what drove you to that? He said, well, we had no choice. We'd already eaten all the other passengers. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a great, well-crafted sketch. Yeah, that's just, just a great I mean, joke. It had the bomb bomb, like, and here's the punchline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, and, but, um, but Python would have a sketch about a guy turning up at the Undertaker's with his mother who'd just died yeah. and wondering if they, what, they, what, what they could do with her. And they say, uh, I mean, I know that they'd say, well, we can dump her in the Thames or we can burn her or we can fry her. Uh, if we burn her, she gets eat, uh, she gets uh, stuffed in the flames, crackle, 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 which is a bit of a shock. She's not quite dead. But quick, then you get a box of ashes, pretend to hers. Or if you don't want to fry her, you can bury her. She gets eaten up by maggots and weevils, nibble, nibble, nibble. Which isn't so hard. Her says she's not quite dead. Where is she? She's in this sack. Let's have a look. Oh, I think she's quite young. Yes, she was. Fred, I think we've got an eater. I'll put, I'll put the oven on. He goes, um, are you proposing to eat my mother? He goes, yeah, yeah, not raw, not raw. We'll cook her. She's been listening for a few times. There's a bit of stuffing and broccoli. Delicious. He goes, no, I, I couldn't possibly. Well, I, say, I do feel a bit peckish. No, I couldn't. He goes, I'll tell you what, we'll dig a grave. And he goes, we'll eat your mum. Then if you feel a bit guilty about it afterwards, we'll dig a grave and you can throw up into it. And, that is, and it was like, and that is, this is for, this is 50 years 50 ago. 50 years ago. 50 years ago. You're talking about eating a dead mum. Eating a dead mum and throwing up. It's, and it was, they, that was deliberately trying to be that's like a child saying I'm going to shock you yes uh, and I used to love that stuff and I, I remember I'd, I'd do it sometimes in front of my parents and they'd just wince and go oh come on that's just too much yeah and that was part of the pleasure I've had so many times where I think it's the grass is greener, but yeah, yeah, it is. Um, we had lots of d dumb stuff that we I just wouldn't bother watching. I mean, we you know the, the you knew the good stuff because the people, the cool people at school watched the good stuff, and and everyone else watched the stuff that was just bland, sort of vanilla comedy, if you like. Yeah, we and, and also in those days it was, it was pre VCRs and, and all that, so you had to remember the stuff you saw and you had to pick over it afterwards if, to, to make sure you could remember it. And, people, it, and I remember like my, my mom or a friend would say, did you see that show last night to one of our friends? And they'd go, oh, no. And she'd go, oh, it was so funny. It was, um, oh, what was in it? It was so funny. Uh, um, um. And then she'd turn to me and say, did you watch it? And I'd say, yeah. And she'd go, oh, great. You do it. Do it. So I became like a, a, just a little human VCR. Yeah, if you had had a VCR, you'd be an accountant right now. Exactly, because it's you, true. Because you didn't have one, you had to become. Yeah, you had to, and Steve you had Coogan. to. And what you would do is like you'd 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 watch the show. We weren't like couch potatoes. Like we'd we'd watch a show like Forty Towers. Yeah. And then when the show was off, we'd turn the show off. We'd make ourselves a cup of tea. And we'd sit around the table and then go through it again. And say, what was your favorite bit? Right. You know, and say, oh, I liked it when this happened, and wasn't it funny when he said that? So you could kind of keep it in your in your brain. Here's the thing that I've noticed, uh, I my kids are an age and I've noticed with their friends too, they'll say, check this out. And they just hold the, the laptop in front of my face and yeah, press yeah. play yeah. to show me the funny thing. Mm. And I think, I never 
and this is, uh, I don't want this to become two old grumpy guys talking about, you know, in I our think, day. I think, I think that ship sailed. That yeah. ship sailed quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, in our day, it was a better way to do it. But uh, but there is something about, hey, isn't this great? And then they just press play rather than, and sometimes I'll think, well, I'd rather you tell me about mm-hmm, it than just mm-hmm, press play. Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. some, there's something about that that yeah, I prefer. Yeah, yeah, but this, I have a lot of anger yeah. towards my children. <laughs> it sounds they sound like they're smart. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm bitter about that. Um, I also mentioned to you that uh, the you did this Stan and Ollie movie. Mm-hmm. How was that, three years ago now? I say? guess 2016, is it 20, 20, 20? I think it's three and a half years almost exactly. I think I nailed it. Yeah. Incredible. I'm sorry. I don't think the listener needed to know exactly when it came out. Um, I think you could have just said, yeah, I think three years is just about it. Spot on. Yeah. I don't know why I did that. I do get a little pernickety about dates and I'm very good with them normally. Yeah. Well, Mm. apparently you don't know exactly when the movie came out, (laughs) which means you don't give a shit about it. I thought it was, uh, it's a lovely movie. I've watched Why did it. Why you say that? It's just mean. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I was, I'm, I'm a, it's just mean. I'm mad at it's you. Mean. Now, let's talk about that moment we just had I right now. I was trying now. to create an awkward moment. Yeah, but I, I didn't really, care. Really, I know you that, didn't. It, that's the problem. I need to care enough about you as a person and your feelings <laughs> for it to, no, for it to be an awkward moment. Is that not true? Well, again, you're doing it again. There's no need to do to be like that. Yeah. And that's the problem. I'm hurting this be an awkward moment with my complete inability to feel your pain as a human. It's okay, I was faking. I, I care less than you. How about that? Well, what they can't see right now is that you're crying. They can't see that because it's a podcast, but you're full on crying. Yeah, because I'm an actor and I'm faking it. <laughs> you're a very good actor. Thank you. Uh, um, I'll go yeah. back on track. Stan and Ollie, yeah. you became, uh, you know, uh, Stan Laurel, and, I, and it was just a beautiful thing to see. You guys were great. Yeah, I, I, John and I, John, John uh, uh, C. Riley uh, and I. John C. Riley became uh, Oliver Hardy. Yeah. you became Stan Laurel, and I, I didn't even, rec- I didn't recognize you guys, and it was a really nice story about friendship, but also about comedy, which yeah, I thought was yeah. really nice. Yeah, I think you know, there's something I, I loved playing the the, the, the roles, and I, I like playing Stan Laurel because he's essentially a nice guy. Right. Uh, I mean, apart from the few a few issues here and there, but he certainly wasn't a contemptible person at all. So I liked playing someone who was ostensibly nice and, and decent. Um, and uh, but it was a combination of things because I watched those things as a kid, and I ha- kind of had I already had a kind of a voice I could do that I thought I think this is Stan Laurel. So. And sometimes they say, oh, impersonation is not the same as, as acting the part. But actually, sometimes the, the, those physical things help you get back, help you find out who that character is. And, and, and Stan had this strange sort of way of talking that was, like I said, it was, it was you know, it, and, it, and, you know, and sometimes he would do these gestures. You can't see them, but they're very good and quite authentic. Um, but... Uh, so I started out with that and then found out who, you know, learned more about who he was and how he, you know, a lot of the things, the research I did was he used to live in Santa Monica yep. in an apartment and he was still in the phone book. He was in, in the, the phone, phone book. book. I know this. Yeah. Okay. So a bunch of people would call him up and listen to him down the phone and tape record the phone calls. Uh, Dick Van Dyke uh, was one of the people who, who did this yep. way, way back. So you can listen uh, we've gone into all the, the Sons of the Desert, which is the Laurel and Hardy fan club, and they would give us access to these tapes that aren't available online. And you'd hear uh, Stan Laurel uh, saying, uh, you know, um, 
some kid saying, "Hey, can I talk to you, um, Mr. Laurel?" Yes, you can. This is a, a, a this is a a, a, a a long haul, a long call. What do you call it? A call from the other side of the country. Long distance. The, uh, long long yeah. distance. The, the, does your mother know you're calling? You know, and he gets that out of the way and then starts to, to make sure that make it's sure okay. It's okay that he's asked his mom's permission and then yeah. starts talking to him. And it's so touching to hear this guy just talk to the kid about how how they did their comedy. And well, he was also the one that uh, was the architect of force. He worked out the bits. Um, Oliver Hardy was often at the track, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and yeah. Stan Laurel. Uh, and I've heard these stories about. Um, you know, you think about, it was just a different era, but these guys were huge stars, but they didn't retire to mansions, you know? No, like, because they were, on a wa- they were on a wage, they didn't own anything. Charlie Chaplin got smart, he formed United Artists. And so he, he ended up as a very, very wealthy man. And uh, even though he was kind of booted out for suspicion, suspected of being a communist, although he was a very, very rich communist. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That's he, the best kind of communist to be. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> so, yeah. But, um, but anyway, he, he got smart. And, uh, Stan, and Hal Roach, who was a real sort of operator, you know, he, he staggered their contracts so he could never, they could never negotiate together at the same time. So he sort of worked them against each other, played them off against each other. He was a super smart uh Producer who owned everything, and they they and they didn't see TV coming along. These were made in the nineteen thirties. That no one knew that TV was going to be this thing where all this stuff would get re uh, would have a second life. No, so many people, Oliver, uh, uh, you know, Stan and Ollie, uh, Laurel and Hardy, and uh, I mean, the Three Stooges are an example of people that they made these things and they thought it's good, it's just going to be shown in a theater. It's going to be shown, it's going to have a limited run, and then no one's ever going to see it again. We're lucky to be making money. It's the Depression. Exactly. No one thought about it. And then later on, uh, these other people owned the masters. They got nothing. There were no laws that protected people about, Mm -hmm. well, you get a residual, you get this, you get that. So these huge stars, you think about Stan Laurel in the the early 1960s, and he's living in Santa Monica, and you can look him up in the phone book, Jerry Lewis – Poor guy. Uh, I mean, Stan Laurel. Jerry Lewis looked him up and yeah. uh, was a huge fan and and came by and visited him a lot mm-hmm. and wanted to talk to him. And it was, it's a very modest apartment, I think he lived yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And was, so it was just a different- And he answered every letter. He sort of, everyone wrote letters to him. He'd answer them personally and spend all day just responding to people's letters. Uh, and uh, so he was a, yeah, he was a really uh, conscientious uh and, and the other thing, the poignant thing, was that all, he outlived Oliver by about seven or eight years. And even after Oliver had died, he, they, he carried on writing sketches for the two of them. Oh, God. That's such a... like, because he didn't know what else to do. Yeah. That was how way his brain worked. And that's how I was taught. When, when you learn that, it kind of, kind of gets you in the gut. They actually say that at, at the end of the movie. I think it comes up. Uh, yeah, I don't... I, I hardly ever do this on the podcast, but if you get a chance to see Stan and Ollie and you haven't seen it, cue it up because it's it's really special. It's a really... I, I just thought it was a lovely movie, like a little gem. So yeah. um, I'd like a some kind of compensation for getting the word out. <laughs> you couldn't ruined. just say something sincere and leave it at that, could you? That's a little joke parachute at the end. <laughs> I really do would like... I mean, that's worth something, what I just did, financially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wouldn't it? Sona, is that wrong? No, you ruined it. It was such a nice moment, and you and ruined I thought, it. I thought you'd actually, I thought you'd, I thought, hey, oh, he's actually, he's broken through. He's, there's a little breakthrough in his personality. <laughs> it just happened then. No but way. No, it didn't. No way. No. <laughs>
this leads me to my next question. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> Coming in here across the pond. I nearly did, I, ne- I nearly spat my water out right on cue in the perfect comment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> come in here and you throw your weight around, mocking uh, talk show hosts. You're yeah. you know, that's a hard job. We're, we should be taken seriously. We're like brain surgeons. We're like no. patriots, fighter pilots. No. <laughs> so, no. We, we, yeah, we're yeah. noble breed and very. As you know, there's only 75 of us in America, <laughs> so it's obviously a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to ask you, as I get older, the stuff that I had that I thought I needed so much in comedy in my 20s that I probably fed off of. I, I just feel like I'm getting better, and I'm seeing, I'm, I'm becoming, I'm relaxing a little bit more. And I don't know if that's just approaching death or what, but... Do you feel like you have changed or you see things differently now than you Sure, I'm a little I'm a little more laid back, I'm less anxious. I don't feel uh the I don't feel even though I like being having you know I like having a laugh and I don't feel like uh I don't mind if someone doesn't think I'm funny. Right. I I mean uh and I don't mind not because there's something about being one needing approval when you like you do comedy wanting people to wanting lots of people to like you i don't mind if some people really don't like me as long as enough people like me to to mean i can you know pay the rent right you know and so don't you think that that some of that is you're able to say look at all the evidence definitely the other thing is i i don't i don't get involved in social media because probably because sometimes i have very strong opinions and i think yeah i'm going to say something that's going to with no benefit to myself because I'm just going to say something off the bat about something or get sucked into some sort of argument with someone about what something that's kind of meaningless and a pointless right. waste of time. And I just think that, it, it, you know, that uh, if you just, to me it's like anything that occurs to you or whatever or some sort of thing or something that makes you mad or whatever, just just put it in, put it in, the, put it in your work, fold it back into it, just throw it into the pot and mix it up with all the other stuff. And um, as I'm opposed do, to bleeding it out on Twitter, as opposed to yeah, and also, also, not only is it a, more, a better way to do it and a more productive thing to do, um, if you feel strongly about something, you think this this bugs me. Um, it's way better to put it into something creative than try and have some intellectual argument with someone because re- very rarely does an intellectual discourse with anyone, or even a, even a civilized one. Does it ever result in one person saying, you're right, I've changed my mind. Right. <laughs> but it does sometimes, you get close to that if you tell stories. Yes. Because, because at the end of the day, you, you've got to sort of, making people laugh or making them cry, you're kind of winning whatever it is you, you want to say. Yeah, yeah, I think we're, both of us come from, obviously come from countries that where people are, Yelling a lot. No one's changing their mind. No yeah. one's. Mm. No one has said. I think in England, you know, I've got a different. You've changed my mind about Brexit, and nobody here has said. You know what? Uh, you've changed my mind about President Trump, one way or the other. No one's changing because, it. But no, and also because the truth is more nuanced, and you don't have bumper stickers that say "I love nuance." You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but also you're not going to turn on MSNBC or Fox News or actually no. I mean I'm not just I, no. I see it on both sides the right yeah, and the left yeah. but no one's ever going to say we'll be back with more nuance after this yeah, and also, <laughs> stick around we're back with nuance yeah. we're back with welcome to gray area <laughs> <laughs> Who would, there's no money in no. that I know, know? A, I know journalists who wrote for the Times I, I, friends of mine who were told don't say that, that article 
zero. It was just way too balanced. Yeah. Uh, just fold one side or the other, please, because yeah. otherwise people aren't going to. And that's unfortunately that means that the discourse we have is un, unsophisticated. And yeah. Uh, and you know, get and you know the the most important thing. And I think this is about if you're creative, you tend to have this. I think because you have to, you have to be able to self, certainly in comedy, self mark and, and be self deprecating. And that means considering the possibility that you might be wrong about something. And yep. that is, yes. I think that's where a lot of comedy comes from. It's like you, you can say something, uh, well, if, if you know what you're doing in comedy, so you can say something with conviction and then immediately take the piss out of yourself for, for what you've said, even even if you believe it, because, because you know, it's a, a bit of humility goes yes. a long way. I think... Uh, you should I, remember that. I'm writing it. <laughs> if I respected your opinion, I'd write it down. But, uh, Sona, did you get that? I was, yeah. I was looking at, yes, I did. I was looking at my phone. Yeah. I just bought some incredible seal skin shoes. Seal <laughs> Made from baby seals. Very comfortable. And send. And purchase. Um, send? send? Uh, what did you send? <laughs> did I tell you in my late 70s? <laughs> <laughs> you mailed in some a check. I mailed in a check. Send. I'm gonna get so much. Send I'm gonna get so much shit for that. Oh and God. send. Send. How did you send? It's a check. <laughs> Steve, let me explain that when you get to my level of fame, which uh, hard to understand for anyone to understand, very few people understand it. But I can't use oh conventional uh, ways of purchasing things on the internet. Yeah. I have to send a photograph of a of a check, <laughs> which, which is then placed in a pneumatic tube. <laughs> That's how it has oh, to be done. No. Um, I um, I am going to end on uh, something sincere without a parachute, which is I am very hard pressed to think of a living person who's made me laugh harder than you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I've always felt a little affinity with you because of where you're from and what you do, and um, and and the and. That's it. That's the most so there's no joke at the end. No joke at the end. I like that. When I heard that you were available to do the podcast, uh, I was absolutely delighted. No, seriously. I, I, I really was. I, this isn't a joke. I love how you think I can't do it, but I can do it. Uh, yeah, no, I really was delighted because I thought you and I have uh, passed in the night many times. You've been on the show. You mm -hmm, do the bit. Mm -hmm, it's over. You're mm -hmm, gone. Mm -hmm. And I thought, uh, wouldn't it be great to just sit for 45 minutes and and talk with Steve Coogan? That would be a real treat. So this has been everything I wanted it to be. Uh, I've loved it. I've loved it. It's great. And I tell you what, this is another slight serious thing. It's just, uh, it's great when you tuned into someone enough to like fuck around and and uh, and feel and not feel like you've got to be on your best behavior in better comments. Right. So thank you. I've had a very nice time. Very good, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Steve Coogan, um, and uh, there really is no end to these conversations. Uh, I don't know why I'm doing a formal ending now. <laughs> but we're now going to scroll a list of the Civil War dead first, <laughs> Confederate, and then Union, uh, and we're going to play sad music. That'll take about six hours because we lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Oh. 
It's long been my uh, wish for the podcast that it be kind of evergreen, that you never really, you could you could listen to one now or listen to one three years from now and it, it really wouldn't make a difference. It's just sort of like a little note in a bottle that you toss into the ocean and you find it whenever. That's always been my hope for it. These are different times. We're in the middle of this uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, we're all on lockdown. Just to give you a reference point, it's Saturday, March 28th. We're all separated, but we're together. And we just, just to give you some context, we just spent about 45 minutes, several adults, uh, including Sona and Matt Gorley and Aaron Blair and Adam Sachs, Will Becton, uh, talking me through how to get connected because I'm by myself in a room in my house. And it was a horror show. <laughs> it was one of the worst things that's ever happened because I'm I'm a Luddite. I'm not someone who's good at computers. And it's it, not just that you're a Luddite, though. You're resistant to information. Yes, yes. I think that's your biggest problem is that you automatically think you can't do it. So you're like, ugh, this is <laughs> awful. It's like, you just try. All you got to do is try. If I say something like, hey, you know, like open your inbox. Ugh. What, what's my inbox? Like, what? where am I supposed to find the inbox? Well, I don't call it inbox. I call it maily mail. <laughs> so I, I use different terms. That's maily mail. And then you guys will say things like, go to your system preferences. And I'll say, wait, you mean geary gear? Yeah. <laughs> For a while, I was calling that my Richard gear because it was just, it's a gearbox. Oh, oh man. And seriously, oh, I'd say, oh, I'll click on Richard gear and then I'll go to the speaker. You guys say, go to system preferences and find sound. No, that's Richard Gere to speaker or what looks to me like an overturned rice bowl. So <laughs> I think I think the way I'm doing it is just fine. I just don't know your wacky terms like on and off. What's on and off? That's night night is off and breakfast time is on. <laughs> so uh, it's on us to learn these terms. To yeah, I am the Pharaoh and you are moving this stone to make my tomb. And how soon will you be in that tomb? You know, I'm a pharaoh that lives a very long time. <laughs> and you're crushed by a giant sandstone slab in about a week. And, and you're thrown in a pit with the rest of the stone movers. <laughs> okay. The point is, it's been an arduous process getting me. And I think we do have some uh, audio, don't we, Matt? We were rolling for some of it. Yeah. Is there something you want to say to the people who help you out and like, you know, get all that yeah. stuff ready for you, you know? Well, it's, I would say it's an equal exchange. You're paid for your services. Oh, uh, okay. You, you ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very grateful. I, of course, I'm very grateful to everyone who works hard to make this thing hum. And I'm realizing that all I really contribute is the spark of life. <laughs> uh, wow. Let's uh, throw to the montage. We got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just playing back to me and I can't, the little box that stops it. I'm being the dick I was eight minutes ago and I, I can't get it to stop. What oh, sorry. It says stop. recording. No, that's good. I'm just trying to stop myself <laughs> from talking um, to myself. Conan, do you have like a dock down at the bottom where you see all your applications? I see Is downloads. It, Would it be under downloads? It could be that you downloaded it accidentally. Open that downloads folder and see if anything's playing. <laughs> I just I'm being driven mad by my own quippage. Now I know how awful <laughs> it is to listen to me. Yeah. <gasps> if 
Finally. Finally. Where did this go? Oh, boy. Having me conduct the test of listening to it was the worst thing that ever happened. Jesus. All right, so where would this be, this fucking file? <laughs> I feel like I'm hearing myself too, and I don't know where it's coming from. Oh my God. Uh, that's probably your mother. <laughs> son, son, no, son. Son, not a good boy. Uh, would it be under download? Please say this, son, please say this. Either to the side or down below, you should see a strip of application icons. Yes. Okay, do do any of them have a little dot below them? A little dot over them? Below them. Oh, that's where it's on iTunes. It's, yeah, it might it's be on iTunes. Up. If your Mine iTunes is, is open, playing on quit, iTunes. quit iTunes. So how do I stop it? Click now look what's coming through. <laughs> oh my God. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> this is hell. Okay, Conan, so what am I going to? Downloads? No. <laughs> Hold option, command, and escape. Okay. <laughs> I have to hear you over CCR and I can't hear you. <laughs> this is awful. How did this go into iTunes? Okay. Hold on. Everybody, I forgot how to find QuickTime. I'm so sorry. I don't usually use an app. This is horrible. You can, you can go. You can Hold go. On, I, I found it. I found it. Okay. <laughs> I think for the segment, we should just play this. <laughs> Hold on. We right. have it. Audio recording and. And this yeah. is terrible. This is yeah. the worst thing that I've ever been a part of. All right. Okay. Are you, Conan and Sona, you guys have your audio turned off. It's not playing anything back. Press record now. I'm recording. Wait, where's file went away? It's just select. Zoom us. Meeting. 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 View. Nope. Edit. Quick time. Quick time. Quick time. Quick time. The application. What the fuck is quick time? <laughs> it's to the left of your inbox, down in the dock. Yeah, there it is. I just got yeah. it memorized. Wow. I did. I put it there on purpose yesterday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my God. We're all going to die. <laughs> I'd rather. I, I had sessions with my grandma that were easier than. <laughs> Well, we're doing complicated stuff here. Let's let's be honest. You know how to do this. No. Oh, man. All right. I forget what we're doing. I forget okay. why we're now, here. This next step should theoretically be super simple, but I'm really worried about it. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be, we have to clap together. Sona, Conan, and me. I'm going to go one, two, three, and then the four is the clap. On the four is the clap. Yes. Okay. Don't worry if it's not synced from what you see or hear. It will be in the end. So, Ugh. ready? One, two, three. Okay, now we're ready. Now we yeah. can take over to my area of expertise or sexpertise for you ladies that are familiar with my stylings. What? Are we recording this in the current reality? And now I got to find the in, now I got to find the intro because I haven't printed that out. Well, it's on the email. You you can just read it from the email. Yeah, why don't gonna... you just get your iPad next to you so you could access? Oh, okay. Oh, good job. You figured that out. <laughs> I'm not touching another button. <laughs> <laughs> okay, emails, emails. Let's see. Oh, John Mulaney emailing me. No big deal. Oh my god. <laughs> nobody, whatever. Nobody asked. So nobody asked. 
Okay, here we go. I'm trying to see. There's a whole chain here. Ah, here we go. Conan? Yes. Conan, can I say something? Will told me yesterday, even though you could hear it clearly on your end, you have to talk into the microphone. Like you normally would when you're doing the podcast. Not. I don't know why you're like that right now. You don't lick it. What are you doing? Sorry, I went into a high school fantasy. What? Um, nothing. Just always wanted to. Well, anyway. All right. So should I start? Yeah. Hello there, and oh god, I'm so sorry, <laughs> Adam. Conan O'Brien needs a friend with Sonam Obsession and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf.